Okay, welcome to the Breakdown Podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and it's good to be back after a long hiatus. I'm joined by Pat Shaw of Avanti Ice Away Sports um, in his swan song season in the NRS and racing in general. Um, Pat, good to, have, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me um, on this uh, edition and I look forward to having a bit of a chat about what's been happening and hopefully what's going to happen in the cycling world. Yeah, we're looking at the Olympics today and the men's and women's road race in particular. And I suppose we'll talk about a bit of track if anyone's got any interest in that. I'm not particularly up on the track scene as much as the road, but if any, if there are any particular favourites that you want to talk about, Pat, um, more than welcome to throw a bunch, a bunch of names in there. Well, yeah, I suppose the team's pursuit's always going to be a lot of talk, isn't there? You know, Great Britain come out and said, you know, we're set the world's fastest time in training. There's all the speculation about whether it's just uh, mind games. Probably is. Graham Brown's been out there making his opinions on it. He's heard it all before. It's fun, funny that side of it, I think. Yeah, where does it where does it stack up in terms of where it stacks up in terms of prestige? I mean, Olympics only comes around once every four years, whereas the um, other road races are once a year. And you have to build your entire season around taking, you know, taking gold in Olympic events. So you see guys like Rowan Dennis and Alex Edmondson, those sort of guys really try to um, almost sacrifice the rest of their season to get to this point where they can challenge for gold. Is, is it worth it though? Or should they be, you know, focusing on other events as well? Well, I think so. Like for Alex Edmondson, especially, you know, at such a young age, he's got plenty of time to sort of burn, if you like. And I think that focusing on it the way he's done, I think it's also all hand in hand preparing him to be a better athlete at the end of the, the day anyway. So even though his main goal and he sacrificed his season to prepare solely for the Olympics, I think he's improving overall as an athlete at the same time. So beneficial at the same time. And Olympic gold, you know, it's uh, one that sits with you forever. So, you know, we have a look at Australians and they've done fairly well in cycling especially in the track, and most of them build a career off that. So even if they have been preparing for this event for a long time and have missed out, somebody like, you know, Miles Scottson, for instance, who I was surprised was omitted from the, from the team in the end, uh, he, he still got a lot out of, out of it in terms of improving as a cyclist. Yeah, well, I think the big thing is, is that they strive all the time thinking that they're going to have that spot and there's always that sort of competition for the, the final placings in the squad. So they're always going to be training at that extremely professional and elite level. So they're definitely getting something out of it. Okay, it's heartbreaking. They miss out and you hope that those athletes can handle that side mentally because if they can, they probably come out the other side a far better athlete mentally and physically if they can get through it. And, and look, we see it every time that the professional guys from the, the pro peloton generally slide into the team and that pushes out a bit of young talent. This particular Olympics has been very interesting because the squad was so young anyway, and they're always going to have to bring in some mature athletes to um, handle the the big scene, for example, but also probably to anchor that faster pace over the the tougher conditions which they'll have in Rio. Yeah, and you often see the Aussie road guys come through the track system as well, and a lot a lot of them talk about how it builds their um, builds their technique and and the endurance and just gives them that that basis in in learning how to be a professional athlete and 
you can, I think you can see really the benefits of taking like a track background onto the road. Yeah, well, especially now because, um, and, and look, through the Charlie Walsh era, it was the same that even the track endurance guys, they did massive kilometres on the road anyway. So they were probably good enough to ride the road, even though they were track specialists. But it's also different um, skills that are required, like riding a track bike is not particularly an easy thing. To roll around at velodrome, you can do it. But to ride at high speed and, and react to the bike, it's also um, and good skills and techniques that you need to learn. Um, and I think you see that in the peloton, the, the guys that have got the track background, you can see them benefit in uh, the big sprint finishes. Um, it's almost as if in those chaotic times in the peloton, they've got about uh, those few little hundreds of seconds more to react because they're sort of seeing things before it happens. Okay. Well, we'll move on to the road, which is more of our um, area of expertise, and we'll come back and talk about the Rio Olympic course. Okay, and we're back talking about the Olympic road race, and it is an interesting course. It's got a bit of everything, um, tough climbs some flat sections and cobbles. Um, it's going to be a really interesting one uh, for the We'll do the mail course first. It's over 241 kilometres and it'll be um, about 40 k's of climbing and I think over 4,000 metres of elevation in total. And it will be, you know, a really tough one. I had a, when Chris Room was down in Australia for the Herald Sun Tour, I asked him a question at the press conference about his own ambitions for the course. And he thought, you know, it was one of the few times where a climber like him actually might stand a chance. Though, you might not like the cobblestones as much as some of the others. Um, Pat, you've had an opportunity to take a look at the route at least. Um, what do you make of, of this route? What does it stack up to in terms of other races that people might be familiar with? I think the interesting thing is the test event that was held early in the year seemed to, um, and OK France did send a very um, a squad that probably was better than any other rise of the event. So they did extremely well, obviously. But Julian Alaphilippe, Alex, Alexis uh, Villamoz, they were both very strong at the event. Simon Clark um, also did well at the event, which doesn't surprise me that he ended up filling in for Simon Gerrans. And a guy that I know well as well, Matt Clark, actually went and rode the course. Now, the feedback from them was that it was an extremely tough course, but more than anything, it was just a course where you need to concentrate so much because of the different... Um, characteristics on the course. So you've got the, the, the hilly sections, obviously, but also the cobbles, which really throws a, a bit of a spanner in the works for a lot of the guys that the course is 4,000 metres of elevation probably suits, but the cobbles don't. Um, so I still I still like the chances of these Alaphilippe types, uh, especially coming out of a very tough Tour de France, where they definitely uh, went for stages, but I think they also were preparing ideally for the Olympic Games. Yeah, and maybe a name, a name up there as well is uh, Greg Greg Van Evermart, who looked very good at the recent um, Classica San Sebastian, which is looks like it might be a key leading race uh, for today. And it was Belka Mollema who took the win there. Um, <laughs> some just recompense, perhaps, for his tour performance, where he was second for a long time before fading to finish 11th after... Being pretty unlucky on that really wet stage um, on the 19th stage of the tour where he lost over four minutes, I think it was, on that stage and ended up slipping right down the 
right down the rankings there. Pat, you were mentioning in this um, off-air, is it is it the sort of course where we can see Balcom Olimer, you know, make a difference as well? Yeah, I think his Dutch background sort of helps him out a bit for the cobbled section. And it, although he's an extremely good uh, climber, he, he does ride that sort of terrain well also. Um, I think he's a really big chance, but not only because of how good his form is, also the squad that uh, the Dutch are taking does add a significant depth, which will allow them to, to you know, maybe even force in a more aggressive, scrappy race, as I believe Belgium will also. Um, you know, you mentioned Greg Van Avema, but um, Philippe Joubert won't be just rolling around in the pack either. So uh, I think Tim Wellens is also riding for them. Um, it's it's going to be interesting how the climber types try to um, respond to that different style of racing. I really like the the Spanish team's going to be interesting how they work together as well. It's well documented that uh, Valverde and Rodriguez don't usually race all that well together. So um, how it will unfold will be very interesting. And I think that's why the types of riders like Greg Van Averme, um, Julian Alaphilippe and those types, Tony Gallopard will really benefit. Yeah, it's interesting because it is it is those smaller teams which you aren't used to from the from the World Tour. You're used to having you know eight or eight or nine guys in the Grand Tours and like Team Sky at the Tour de France, for instance, just controlling the peloton the, the whole stage. But in in an Olympics event, it's four four or five five guys for the for the biggest teams, and there's only five teams with five guys this year, and then four then four guys for most of the other big nations. So it's it's going to be really, really interesting and very hard to, very hard for a team for one team to control, which is what makes it quite interesting. I think it'll be, be a lot of moves and a lot of interesting tactical battles in in the race. I'm just thinking back to previous Olympic events, and it, and it has come down to being in those right breaks at the right time, hasn't it? I mean, and being quite aggressive on those final few circuits. Yeah, it definitely has, and if you have a look at the Olympics, it usually does um come down to the rider being on another page on the day not so much his team uh because it's very rare that a team will represent in that final selection with more than one rider from their country um however i hate to say it but don't throw it away that we've seen it before where riders are from different countries but they're from the same trade team and some funny things go on there so um, that could also be interesting to see how that plays out. In particular, maybe Nicholas Roach from Ireland um, and Dan Martin, how will they ride their races? Um, just the two of them in the event. Very interested to see what happens there because they really can't play too much cards early on if they want to compete for the finale. But if Nicholas Roach is having a bad day, maybe he will help his Sky compatriots. Yeah, we should probably talk about the Australian team as well. Um, Australia qualified with four places, but are only taking three riders, and one of them is Rowan Dennis, who's got the time trial uh, three days later. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be largely down to Richie Port and Simon Clark, you'd think, to to take it up and fire the Australian Australian flag. Uh, they're going to have to play a fairly reactive game, would you say? I mean, or is it one? Is it the sort of course where you just have to hit out and hope for the best with you know two riders and just hope that you get a bit lucky. I think that uh, the plan will probably be one of two things. It'll be go on the aggressive 
or play a complete back role and hopefully it's more the Chris Froome likes and the climber types and that way it'll play for Richie Port. If uh, Simon Clark and Richie go down to that last sort of 60, 70 Ks, um, maybe it's then that Simon will leave Richie. But I really believe that Simon Clark will play a really supportive role, just like he did for Cadell in Mendrizio, uh, where basically he didn't leave Cadell all day, only to go and feed, get feed for him. Uh, and Cadell really reaped the benefits of that late in that event. And obviously, he went on to win. Um, Simon Clark is by far one of the best domestique riders. And I know that's a little bit of a, a harsh comment because he's far better than a domestique, but he fulfills that role so well because he knows just what everyone needs and when they need it. Um, and I, I really think that that side of it's going to be a real positive for Richie Port. Uh, what Rowan Dennis will do, it's hard to know. I actually think that he will still play a significant role. There's nothing to hurt him from having a pretty hard day three days out from the time trial. Um, and if anything, it'll probably help him. Yeah, especially when there are his competitors on the line, like Tom Dumoulin's on the line, Chris Froome's also racing and trying to win the win the, uh, win the the event in his own right and then go on and try and win the time trial as well. So it's his competitors will be there as well, so it's going to be an, an, a level playing field. Probably worth um, noting that Simon Clark's, you know, very good at the one-day races as well, isn't he? I mean, he came seventh, I think, that one year at the World Championships. And yeah, probably Rui the Costa. hardest... Yeah. Hardest one there's been for a long time. The weather was atrocious. Oh, I can't even remember the the numbers that he gave me post event, but I just remember reading his um, you know wattage average for the ride and how much stress he had had put in, through his body, and I just couldn't even comprehend. So there's no doubt he can take that that one day race. He he can race as hard as basically anyone. Um, and he's got the ability to ride till basically his legs fall off. Whether if Richie's not having a great day and they give him free reign, it could be a very interesting opportunity for Simon Clark also. Yeah, well, in that on that occasion in the 2013 World Champs, uh, it was Cadell he was supposed to be riding for there, but um, Cadell crashed and had to go out of the race. And you know, Clark's, Clark he stepped up and did the business there. So it'll be, you know, hopefully it goes well. We'll we'll see how they go there. Um, Probably not amongst the favourites, though, Australia, for this one. So it will be interesting to see who does. Do you have a, do you have a favourite in particular, Pat? Uh, I, I think I need to sort of go a bit your way and say Greg Van Avermaet really um, excites me as a, as, a, as a pretty good possibility to take the gold medal. I, I, I don't know if the climbers will be able to get rid of that type of guy in a one-day race. But again, that's why we love tuning into the World Championships and the Olympics because you know that it's going to get messy, very messy at some point and the best rider will win on the day. Other guys, look, I'd really love to see Dan Martin do really well. I feel I find that he just underachieves really for how good he looks. He just doesn't get the rewards. Um, so they're the two guys I'll, I'll be watching very closely. Yeah, well, when when you've won a Liège and a Giro de Lombardia, I mean, you should be right in for, for this sort of course, and Dan Martin's certainly going to be on the radar. Yeah, I do like the French in this one. As you said, they brought a very strong team to the to the Olympics test event, which was won by Alexis Villamoz. And, you know, Bardet, Bargui, Alaphilippe, and Villamoz, they could all win. So oh, I, I, like, I like them in an aggressive move. So, well, yeah, I'll say one of the French guys, and I'll 
have my money on uh, Alaphilippe, I think. He's he's been yeah. really impressive so far this season. Yeah, I think I'd probably back Bardet to stay in the bunch with the, the rest of the riders, and, and Alaphilippe will make a, a move probably late, but uh, still that last 40Ks and see if he stays away with a select group. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll move on to the women now, and I'm just bringing up the... And it's a course of 141 kilometres, and again, it goes across that same that same circuit with the climbs, the flat, and the cobbled section. Um, I talked to Catherine Garfoot about the, the course, and she thinks it really suits her, actually, with a kind of longish, quite hard climb. I mean, enough to enough to really break up the bunch, but not super steep, so that the more punchy people... Um, can get rid of everyone so she thinks it's going to be a bit more of an attritional attritional based um race which she thinks will suit her and the and the team quite well at 141k is it's going to be a bit short and it should be make for a bit more of an attacking race than the than the men's but it's always interesting with the women and it'll be interesting to see what the effect of the smaller team sizes has on this race as well um pat well, yeah, well, we saw that uh, a lot of probably the favourites for the event didn't race uh, La Corse, uh, which we're used to seeing all uh, those riders there. So we would have been able to sort of get a bit of a glimpse of how they're moving. Unfortunately, we're not seeing that this time around. Difficult to really measure form line. Um, I think you're right. I think Katrin Garfoot, she has just absolutely come on like a rocket in the last 16, 18 months. And you can tell she's put in an extreme amount of workload uh, on and off the bike to look at her physicality in in, uh, just itself. She's just that, that fit. And I don't think that it'll be preparation that, that loses her the event. It'll just be um, how the tactical race goes. And we've seen in world championships, the like uh, the one day races in the women's uh, cycling is difficult to read at times. Um, especially when they race as trade teams, it's so heavily weighted to the big teams. But come to a national um, team representation and the logistics changes a little bit. So hopefully um, that dice roll goes her way a little bit and she gets in a select group where it becomes a one-on-one situation. I think there she'll be very successful. Of course, there's plenty of other um, people, in, well, in the Australia team. You've got uh, Rach Nalen, Amanda Spratt, and Gracie Elvin, who have all been racing with very good form. All Orica um, Bike Exchange, well, Orica AIS members, uh, though, is a bit... And you can't really deny any of them their spots, but you can see from the outside that I think some of the some of the other women were feeling a bit left out by the selection process. And and it did read that way in a lot of, in a lot of cases because... Um, Orca AIS opted not to go to the Giro Rossa and th- with their intention clearly clearly on the uh, on the Olympics here. So you felt that they were on a bit of a different stream from the other Australian riders in the in the pro uh, peloton. So maybe they've got a bit of an advantage. I mean that's me that's maybe me just being a bit sensationalist and and you know beating beating things up a bit. But I don't know, Pat, what's your what's your take on that? It's always a difficult one to comment on, isn't it? Because you don't want to seem like, oh, you're that one, are you, that's doing that? But they all deserve their spot. Amanda Spratt's been absolutely sensational this year from start to go. Like, um, how many wins has she had so far? Five or six. 
Um, um, well, she started the season off really strongly, and she's been very good on the climbs. And she won, and she won the recent Queen stage at the Turingen Rundfahrt. So, yeah, I she's know, been definitely a very yeah, so... tough area, the Turingen Rundfahrt uh, terrain. So, um, like we said, they did, they all deserve their spot. But Australia is such great female cycling talent, um, and there's definitely other riders that could have easily slipped in. But as there are easily many riders that could have slipped into the men's team, um, I think that, you know, obviously it's been well documented, the change of squad for uh, the Great Britain team uh, with um, Cummings coming in and Kenak going out. Um, so it's not just in the women's that we have this situation where it's a little controversial about who gets selected. It's always very difficult when you're narrowing down probably 20, 30, Riders maybe at, at times, but at least ten into a small squad of three, four, five. Um, there's going to be always people that miss out. Yeah, especially for the women as well, because the the Olympics is very much the biggest and most prestigious race on the on the calendar. So it really becomes that battle to make make sure you get in there and give yourself an opportunity to be you know racing on the biggest stage. Whereas for the men, it's not just another race, but it but they've got other opportunities to show themselves as well to, to the cycling public. Yeah, that's a very fair comment. Well, I'd like to think that, you know, a side of me likes to think that the women's cycling is really getting a lot more exposure and a lot more attention. I know for, for myself, I check their results quite constantly. So let's hope that their racing gains more momentum as well. And then, um, yeah, it won't be, it won't be so much like that. Yeah, well, I'm not talking about you or me or probably anyone listening to this podcast because if you're listening to this, you're pretty much a cycling diehard. So you, you keep up with the results of Chloe Hosking in Chongming Island or Gracie Elvin in um, in that Belgian race, which I can never pronounce, like Huck Guingum or however you pronounce it. And yeah, and you really appreciate all their results. Um, but it's it's just not quite that same level for the cycling mainstream audience to, to pick up on the women's results. So they you know, they do need to be cycling on the biggest stage. Um, and unfortunately, there's only four spots to go around. Oh, well, we'll move on to the the other teams now. And it looks like, I mean, it, it's always a course for Mariana Voss, but, you know, a hard a hard course like this one is right up her alley. And if even if it ends in a, a bunch sprint, well, a reduced bunch sprint or a, a single rider winning, she can, she can always take the victory. Yep, uh, Mariana Voss, um, fantastic to have her back in the peloton after the setbacks that she had. And, well, she's always the first person you you mention in these one-day classics or one-day big races, world championships alike. Um, but she'll have another good uh, team um, beside her as well. Yeah, so she's got Anna Van, Anna van der Breggen, um, Ellen van Dijk, Annemiek van Vluten. So oh, the Orca ALS rider there who's been in very good form um, for the Australian team. So, yeah, it looks it looks like um, probably her, Lizzie Armistead's obviously going to be a big favourite from, from the Great Britain team. Uh, who else are we talking about? Mara Abbott was very strong at Giro Rossa. Megan Garnier, obviously strong at Giro as well. And that United States team actually looks like a very strong team, especially over the climb. So... Maybe they'll be looking to make it really hard on those on those uphill bits. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't seen the full start list at this point, but 
Um, I'd expect that Pauline Ferran Prevost would also be taking part um, for France. Yes, she's on the list. Um, only two riders from France, um, her and Andre Cordon, who had a nasty crash actually at La Course. Yeah, I'm just trying to pull out some other names as well, like Katarzyna Niviodoma um, from Bravo Live. She's been, she's a youngster in great form, obviously. Emma Johansson from Sweden, um, ma- massive star of the women's peloton. And yeah, apart from that, I mean, somebody like Leah Kirkman, maybe if the race is a bit easier, she can yeah, hold I, her I big, body, big body over the class. Being, so. We can't see it being easy uh, physically. Maybe no. if they um, make the race easy tactically. But I sort of think that almost uh, different, diversely to the men's race, I think sometimes in the women's race, you're almost better to have less numbers. Um, I know that might sound strange, but I just think tactically you didn't, the risks are taken naturally. You can't force yourself to be in everything. And, and generally we see a few moves that waste um, a fair bit of energy. Um, so I actually really like the the smaller um breakdown in these types of events so i think that france will be pretty good there i think that it'll all be for pauline fran prevot um i think that you're right as well naming katarina uh noadonia she is just <laughs> how good is she but they're all from the same team rabo live and um then again Luz mentioned i mentioned earlier about the men's race well the women's race could easily um slip into trade team mode also yeah well it's been yeah it's either been rubber live or bowls dormans taking most of the wins though obviously recently it's been wiggle high five doing very well as well so hopefully we see a, a good sprinkling of riders uh, it doesn't end up in that sort of trade team um i'll do you you a favor across country lines as well so yeah it'd be interesting i'm really looking forward to that um i'm just thinking about picks now who 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 could go well I know. I like. I really like Lizzie Armitstead, so I think I'll go her. And she's been just so dominant, and it's been her main goal of the season. And I'll take. I'll take Lizzie. I think in this one. Yeah, well, that's that's such a scary thought, isn't it? It's been her main goal for the season, but she has just been um, really on another page this year. Um, she was fantastic early in the year. It's mentioned that this is her major goal, so you're right there. I'm going to stick with uh, Mariana Voss. Okay, and the the Dutch rider returning from injury, doing doing very well this season. And if she comes back to full form, I mean, we've seen her in, from season in, season out, just being dominant along the women's scene. Though she hasn't had Lizzie Armidstead at her peak to contend with. So I think it'll be a great battle and certainly one worth tuning in for. Okay, we'll come back with a, final, a few final thoughts and the riders that have caught our attention over the last few months. Okay, and we're back. Um, it's been a few months since since the last podcast, so we thought we'd talk about some some of the other other Australian riders um, who've been creating uh, creating news across the cycling world. And I understand you you wanted to bring up Will Clark, Pat. Oh, certainly. Like, <laughs> does the guy just keep winning, or or what? He's uh, now racked up more than half of Pack Cycling's wins this season. <laughs> individually and he hasn't won an easy race yet um, he's now won a stage of volta portugalo and if anyone watches it it is a phenomenal event 
the speeds they average, the way they race. It's an incredible race to watch. Uh, I live stream it quite uh, frequently each year. I watch three or four stages. I didn't get to watch his stage he won, and I'm really upset about that. But um, there is no doubt that guy's going to the Drape at Camdale set up next year, and he bloody well deserves it too. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's typically one that you think of in the prologues because he, he does so well. And he's always, you know, top five or if not first in most of them. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see him in that in that drop out Cannondale team next year. Uh, what will happen to the other riders is up for question a bit. I've heard I've heard that some may be heading to Pat's Veg, and that that'll be interesting to see what what impact that has on the NRS going forward, or maybe if if Pat's Veg decide to do more continental races or whatever they want to do. So, yeah, that'll be interesting going forward. Um, any, anyone else you want to bring up in particular, Pat? Well, as well with Will Clark, I wouldn't be surprised if there's other uh, World Tour teams interested in his services as well. So I think it will actually be sort of a watch this space situation there, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I can't help but um, mention how Avanti Isoway Sports has been in Europe over the past months. Tried something new this year, went over to Europe for a stint. Um, race some Be- uh, Belgian Kermises. Even some of the boys are doing some of the post Tour de France um, Kermises as well. But uh, they've just recently done finished overnight actually the Tour of Alsace, where Mark O'Brien, the old grey horse um, like myself, has um, ran ninth on GC. Now it's a, an amazing event. Um, the second last stage was f- over four thousand meters elevation, same as what Rio will be. Um, it's just a grueling event, but it's it's fantastic that um, Australian teams are also going over and racing these events to give the riders a chance to to go to the next level. Yeah, and what do you think of that new strategy? How how's it gone for the boys? I haven't had much contact with them so far. I mean, are they enjoying it? Are they adapting to the different style of racing over there? I've got to say, like the way that they've handled the cultural difference, um, especially because a lot of them have never travelled there before, has been fantastic. I think that's the most difficult thing for most Aussies that go away. But um, definitely there's been times where they've just gone, like the racing, the races that they've done have been a very high level. And um, at times they've just been like absolutely buckled and just thinking to themselves, I've never hurt so much before. Um, But they're going to all be better for that. And the results that they have actually got across the period they've been over there um, have been very good. And they've been getting mentions from um, several of the, of the highly ranked professional outfits um, on the social media. So um, they definitely, it's definitely been a correct move by the team. And probably the best result of the period was Ben O'Connor's third in the Tour de Savoie. Um, would, you, would you agree with that or... Is there another particular result that just grabbed your attention? No, definitely Ben's ride there was sensational. Um, and when you consider that in that race, I think there was five riders that also then went on to do the Tour de France, or four riders, should I say. And also in the top 10, I think five of them have gone on to have stud years with World Tour teams. Pro Cycling Stats also put out a post naming the best non-professional um, signed riders for this season and Ben O'Connor ranked in that top 10 as well. So there's no doubt that was a, a super ride and the team had to put everything on the line there for him. But also, um, you know, again, 
he ended up to get that third place. He really ended up having to do it on his own the last 30 Ks on the hardest day. Okay, yeah, and we'll talk about some other riders now, I suppose. I mean, we've done your Avanti um, cross-promotion. Um, Chloe Hosking has been absolutely amazing, of course. If you haven't seen her victory in La Course, make sure that you check it out because it is it is very impressive the way that she sp- sprinted from about 300 to go and still managed to hold off the entire women's peloton trying to chase her down. Um, and before that, and before that, she was on very good form as well. She took a win at the Giro Rosso, along with Tiffany Cromwell, who also took a win. So it's been been a very good time for Australian women's cycling, and it'll be be very interesting to see how they go at Rio because you know they've got the results to back it up over the rest of the season. So all the best for them there. And Pat, one more shout out. Have you got anyone else? Oh, I was going to mention that also that. Um, that was, you're right. It was a fantastic win. She, she won it easily. She probably could have set up a bit earlier and posted up. Um, but Kimberly Wells has also been going really fantastic over in America and Peter Mullins. Like, um, I know those girls aren't racing in Europe, but they're racking up wins and they're racing, you know, sometimes they're racing six, five, six days a week, um, and maybe 20, 20 plus days in a month. Um, and they're racking up a lot of wins. Um, and don't worry, those girls have got really good form line too. I actually have really enjoyed following Kimberly Wells's progress. Um, looking forward to the summer of cycling with all those girls back as well. Yeah, worth mentioning. Uh, I think the the Law Brothers are doing really well over in in the states as well. Now that you mentioned the states scene, and I think they've been taking a bunch of victories. So, congrats to Scott and Jackson Law. They've been Absolutely superb. And uh, Nick Schultz is another one I want to throw a, a shout out to. He's he's uh, signed up as a stagiaire for Orica Bike Exchange. And after his results this season, there's absolutely no reason that he that he shouldn't go on and prove very successful there. He took a, took a win, I think it was, and post rest, was it? Yeah, it no, definitely well, was. It was a great win. Yeah. Fantastic win, actually. Also, also Tour to de Breton was the one I was thinking of, not um, post rest. Um, no, and post rest was the one where uh, Lucas Hamilton and Jai Hindley went well. So, yeah, well, the problem is there's too many riders doing well, so we we get it mixed <laughs> up a bit. <laughs> oh well, um, that should be that should be plenty for today. Uh, hopefully you've um, scratched your cycling itch by coming here to listen to me and Pat. And uh, Pat, thanks for joining us. Absolute pleasure. I look forward to doing it some other time. We'll be very happy to have you on and just. You know, talk and cycling, that's what we enjoy doing. Okay, well, we'll catch you around some other time. Uh, follow us on Facebook or via Twitter to keep up on all the Breakdown Podcast news. And, yeah, hope to catch you around. Okay, bye. <laughs>